Welcome to Bound by Books, a podcast of five authors across the genres talking about that one thing that we're all bound by, books. I am one of your hosts, Danielle Bannister, and I'm joined today with fellow writer Tina Moss. And what are we talking about today, Tina? Oh my God, we're so excited because we are the only people that could do this podcast in our author group. We are talking Marvel men and Marvel movies in general. We are going to go on a whole Marvel rant. <laughs> you yes, Marvel for those shirt. on YouTube, I'm wearing my Marvel, one of my many Marvel shirts. I co- I completely screwed this up. I literally have four Marvel shirts. And what am I wearing? I'm, I'm wearing I'm wearing Game of Thrones. I'm wearing the dragons. Messed you are up. misrepresenting. Well, I mean, I have like Marvel colors. I'm blue, I have blue hair and a red bandana. We're good. <laughs> you do. You do. I can't tell you how giddy I was. Because you have to understand, for those who, who don't know, we are five, we were five complete strangers when we started this marketing group together and talking. So we didn't know anything about anything. And so I was so happy when I, I discovered that there was a fellow Marvel <laughs> lover in the group. I'm like, yes. Yeah, before we get into it, though, I have to tell you, so we were just talking about my my past teaching experience. Uh When I was teaching middle school, I was actually the club advisor for the middle school comic club. And it was one of my favorite things in the world because these were all just geeky children like me. I got to take them to the Star Wars movies. Uh, We got to geek out every week at lunch. It was like the most amazing experience. (laughs) That's awesome. Because truly, I I I am a 13-year-old inside. So, you know, it was perfect. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. But we wanted to talk to today, not just about... Not just about Marvel and why we love Marvel. I mean, that's just ridiculous. But why being a Marvel fan as a writer actually Mm -hmm. makes a whole lot of sense. Absolutely. Right? I mean, because at the heart of Marvel movies, and I think what sets them apart from others, at the end of the day is the writing. 100%. The writing in the Marvel Cinematic Universe is on point and if you are a writer or you want to be a writer these are movies that you should be looking at and studying and saying how did they do this how did they get this right I mean when Infinity War came out the first thing I said to my husband was I've never seen a cinematic universe be able to tie in so many separate plot lines so many separate character arcs into one film like that alone was amazing and then you get to the credits and it's like you know a thousand plus writers on the roster being able to keep all of that coordinated though I mean even if you're not a superhero fan if you're not a fan of Marvel that alone deserves props (laughs) absolutely and they probably they probably didn't you know they probably thought oh wouldn't it be cool if we could have this big universe I don't think Mm -hmm. they started it going okay it's going to start with Iron Man and we're going to take it all the way through Endgame but I think as momentum built as fire built they were smart in that they left doors open and they left opportunities open so that if something should catch fire they could follow the threads that they had already woven in and I'm sure there were movies that they had to like finagle backwards and you know piece together but writers have to do that too I mean if we're writing a series and suddenly we have to go oh I need to connect that backwards now we have to write a way through it and Marvel does that beautifully 
Exactly. They really do. I think that's such a good lesson for writers too, to think about when you're writing your books, like what threads can I leave if I want to pick this back up again? Because maybe you don't, maybe a series isn't doing so well, or maybe you're just not interested in writing that particular genre anymore. But always having like at least one door open to be able to go back into that world, I think is a really smart thing for writers. If, even if you think this is just as a one and done book, I mean, I mm-hmm. my my the first book that I ever wrote was a one and done book. I had written it, I had it was very clear that it was the <laughs> end. There was no going, oh, there's more. But yet, readers were like, oh no, there's more. What about this? And so they mm-hmm. found a crack open that I hadn't even considered, and I got two more books out of the window that they showed me. That's oh, amazing. Okay. What what book was that? That was the Twin Flames trilogy, ah, okay. um, pulled, pulled back and pulled back again, um, came awesome. directly from readers going, but wait, there's more. <laughs> was it different, so, a different side character that they wanted to know, or was it the same characters that they wanted to know more about? It was the same about? characters that they wanted more of, and awesome. I had written the end, <laughs> and it was a clear the end, but they found, like, no. they found the thread in. And well, when I went back, the, I'm like, duh, of course that's the thread and <laughs> I'm a moron. Isn't that kind of the joke too of certain um, superhero universes, not not Marvel per se, but certain superhero right. universes, like nobody's ever really dead. Yeah. Back. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Nobody's ever, oh, especially in Marvel, nobody's really dead. <laughs> nobody's really dead. It's fine. Oh, you want that character? Okay, great. We'll bring them back. We'll find a way to bring them back. I uh, think that also stems just from like, comic book backgrounds, you know, where you have these different comic book series where suddenly a character will, as the kids say, pop off and become super popular and like, oh my God, um, I was planning to uh, ax him, you know, uh, w- down the road. So maybe we don't do that. Or maybe we find this glorious way to resurrect him. That yeah. I feel like is super, super well, common that's, in comic. That's exactly what happened with with Loki, the character of Loki. Yes. He was supposed to die. He was written to die in the early movies. That right. was it. He was done. And they screened it. And the test audience was like, oh, he's still alive. What did he do? How did he trick them? And they were like, oh, oh, oh I guess we, I guess they want more of it. So your readers can sometimes be the ones that dictate if your characters really do live or die. <laughs> and I do imagine with the Loki character, like, They had this image, I think, of Loki to begin with. This It was going to be this counterpoint to Thor, right? He was going to be a little darker, a little more on the evil side of mischief. And then he just, like, they switched Thor completely. And everything was funny now. We got Guardians of the Galaxy from the Thor movies. We started in this dark, literally dark world. (laughs) We started in dark world. And then all of a sudden we're like, oh, wait, this can be campy and fun. And we could have another Guardians hit on our hands with Thor Ragnarok. So yeah. they totally switched Loki's character, which I think was a really brilliant move because dear Tom just plays that character. I mean, Hands perfect. Down. He's perfect. Hands <laughs> down. And, and that's, that's, that's speaking again to the power of your audience. The, yep. the, the, the readers maybe don't understand the raw power mm-hmm. that they have both in, you know, reading and in film. If, if they respond to characters, you can bet that the writers in the room are paying attention to that. And we want to give you more of what you love. So if you're ever reading a book and you love a character or a story, 
let the writer know so that they <laughs> so they go oh you want more of that i haven't heard from anybody about this character so everyone must hate them but the best thing that you can do if you want more of that character is let the creator it, yeah. know right Absolutely. i mean that's I had that experience with um, writing Red Alert because I started Code Black and I knew, and I don't get me wrong, I loved my main characters in Code Black, but I was writing this side character who was so loud in my head, who had all the um, Spike from Buffy vibes, but like all the things we didn't like about that just taken out and just this cool, you know, sassy kind of vampire who just would not shut up. So when I introduced him in the book, I kind of knew that that readers were going to go nuts for this character. And it turned out to be right. My only mistake, unfortunately, was life coming in and writing the book five years in between. So I made the readers wait five years, which they were not happy about. Um, but I got a lot, a lot of emails and a lot of reviews being like, um, hello, we want Drake. Hello, we want Drake. Can you write him already? And I'm like, life, life is in the way. I'm so sorry. Pesky um, life gets in the way. <laughs> but that was, that was definitely an instance where like I kind of knew beforehand because I was getting such vibes from this character that there was going to be a clamoring for this side character to have his own series. And unfortunately it just had a, had a little bit of life happen in between, but he did get his book. So <laughs> if you haven't read it, go yeah. ahead. <laughs> I mean, and, and sometimes that's, that's the thing. I mean, we have, we have things we got to do. We're not just writing all the time. I mean, a lot of times we have regular day jobs or we have families or, you know, yep. you know, life traumatic stuff happens that we have to deal with. We can't write all the time, but it's, it's good to know what you like so that we can make sure to write more of it. Absolutely. So we're not giving you crap yeah. you don't want. Yeah. And the more that would be DC. Oh, I'm going to get hate for that. <laughs> oh, I shouldn't have said that. I knew we were going to get on I it. should not have I said that. Listen. If, I, I don't think anybody, I mean, I hope not. I don't think any writer is going to argue that DC is the better written universe. It's just, there's no comparison. Yeah. Yes, there are, I mean, Batman is one of the all-time greatest superheroes ever. There are yes, great absolutely. characters in DC. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, the Wonder Woman, the first Wonder Woman movie. First one was, was fabulous. 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 Yep. Um, but as a whole, Marvel just took this momentum, right? Took this huge scale universe and said, okay, we're literally going to take this into phases because there's so much material here. So we have got to get this right for our audience and make sure that everything is connecting in a way that is smooth and cohesive as possible. And look, they don't get it right all the time, no, but no. the vast majority <laughs> yeah. is just so impressive for a universe of that scale, I yeah. think DC could do that. They sure. just have new writers. Haven't. Yeah, they need new writers. They need, they well, need whole here's, teams. <laughs> here's here's the, the, the writing piece that I think Marvel got right and DC slept on. Mm -hmm. Marvel concentrated on character. Mm -hmm. They made that the most important driving force. That That's is the thing cool. that is far and away more important. So we care about these people that were on the screen. We care in Civil War that all of these characters that we have grown to love are fighting each other. It upsets yep. us. It bothers us. But when we watch Spider-Man v. Batman, we don't really care because okay. they haven't given us the character growth to care about. 100%. These. So that's, again, another like sort of right. It goes back to the writing. They, they yeah. made these character driven. And that's also knowing the audience because 
my husband and I have this conversation all the time. He loves British television, loves British uh, TV shows. He's, he's just nuts about it. And we always make the comparison where when you have an American audience, American audience wants characters. They want to relate to their characters. They want to know their backstory. They want to see themselves in the character. Whereas with British television, it's very plot driven. It's very like, you know, who done it or the comedic effects of it. It's, it's much more about the, the story and the plot and not so much about the characters, even with the, the rare famous Doctor Who, right? The reason that Doctor Who works is because he can constantly adapt and change. So yes, you love Doctor Who, but you really love the storyline and the plot line of Doctor Who more right. than Doctor Who himself, as we see in Oracle right. itself. Um, right. So that's that's what I think the difference is too, that Marvel saw this American audience, this character driven, give me all of the backstories audience ready to go and said, okay, we have got to do this in a way that's going to be cohesive for the audience. Because you think of DC and like some of the Batman films, they're iconic. They're fantastic. Absolutely. I love Batman as a ninja. Yes. Give me Batman yes. as a ninja any day. But yeah. The reason that doesn't translate is because I don't care when Batman is with Superman yeah. at all. Yeah. I, I don't care if they're friends or enemies. You haven't made that connection for me in prior films to make me suddenly care about it in your new films. That I think right. is their biggest mistake, that continuity between them. Yeah. Yeah. And I think another, I, another issue that maybe DC has that Marvel doesn't is that Marvel leans into characters' flaws. Yes. And DC doesn't give them flaws at all. They make yeah. them these, you know, sort of one-dimensional characters. And Marvel is like, we're going to show you the not-so-pleasant side of these heroes. They're going to mm -hmm. have some things that are not ideal. They're going to make some bad choices. They're going to make mistakes. And, they're, and that in itself makes them more human and more relatable because guess what? We all make mistakes <laughs> too. You know, so I think that that's that's something important to, to, to look at too is it's okay to highlight flaws even in a hero. Yep. I talked about this a little bit with Marianne on the last podcast because in a touch of darkness, I have gotten critiques as well as my co-author has because our main character sometimes makes terrible decisions, absolutely terrible decisions. And she's gotten the, well, she's too stupid to live comment. I'm like, no, <laughs> she's not. She's literally, you know, she's in her 20s. She doesn't have, yeah, exactly. Thank you. See? <laughs> If, uh, if you're so many mistakes in, 20s, in the 20s, um, so many, that's just your time to make mistakes. Like you, you mm -hmm. do stupid things. And yeah, so there's one point in the story where she essentially decides she's in Vegas for the first time. She wants to, she wants to go out on the town. And yeah, that sounds crazy when, you know, there, there are some demons trying to pursue her and there are things <laughs> happening. And, but right. at the same time, she's a, you know, 20 something New Yorker. Exactly. She's, she's not sitting in her yeah. hotel room going to be safe. Come on now. <laughs> and there's that sense of immortality, really, when you're that age, that nothing bad's really going to happen. You you haven't really been brushed with death or the thought of death so much when you're in your 20s. So, of course, you're going to be like invincible and thinking stuff like that. So exactly. So it just made <laughs> yeah. me laugh. I'm like, so the story you want me to write is she's in danger, but decides that she's just going to stay in her hotel room. That's it. <laughs> yeah. it's not gonna it's not gonna happen just that's not yeah. who she is that's not that character so I feel yeah. like that's the same way that we sometimes get with these 
these DC films is that we have these perfect characters that never, like you said, they never do anything wrong. One of the endearing things of Iron Man, even though he is, he is a hero that most of us should not like, right? Exactly. He's a billionaire. He's a super genius. He can do it all, right? We he's a jackass. He's a jackass. We shouldn't like him. But he's endearing because he's constantly questioning himself. He's constantly, even with all of this ego and this arrogance coming out internally, I just see him as a 12-year-old boy. I honestly see him as a little kid, constantly needing external validation and questioning his decisions. Yeah. Yeah. But we, 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 we get to see him shift out of that arrogant jackass and merge into somebody who is more developed and who has learned from those past mistakes and those past flaws we get to see that arc so that it's it's an impress i mean that's the thing i mean all of these heroes went through pretty epic Mm -hmm. story arcs and some of the villains i'll say villains in because some of the villains that we that were villains have sort of merged and changed as well so that they're not we can't even say that they're villains, even though mm-hmm. they're probably characterized as villains, but we, we feel empathy and we, we understand sort of where they're coming from. Thanos wants to destroy <laughs> half of the universe and we're going, yeah, I can see that. I totally get, I kind of get your point. Yep. Like, I you know, yeah. I, 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 I don't say I agree. An extreme environmentalist. That's yeah, what they, Thanos is. Because it's so well done that you look at your, you watch him and you go, yeah, I, I could see where you're coming from. I don't know if I'm fully on board, but I'm right. like, I'm, I'm a step in the direction. I, I see right. what you're saying, right? And if we didn't have that, if he was just like this hated character, I don't think we would get the depth that we do in the film, right. specifically with him. Right. And, and that's characters like that where you have like the the morally gray or the anti-hero <laughs> or the, the villain. <laughs> She's like, oh boy. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that th- those those types of characters are exciting. That that you can write characters that are essentially morally bankrupt on the surface, but mm-hmm. maybe we don't know all that there is to know or the or the reasons behind them. And sometimes even your 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 hero feels like the villain. They feel mm-hmm. like they're the ones that are are sort of that. Thanos sort of energy that they're that they're in the wrong and so I think those are those are those are compelling compelling stories to tell and I think uh, Marvel does a a pretty decent job with with their villains Mm -hmm. if there is a weakness in Marvel it is some of their villains are a little campy or a little two-dimensional that they don't spend Mm -hmm. enough time diving into the whys of yeah, I there, felt like that with Guardians of the Galaxy with um the second one. What's uh what is his yeah. name? The dead. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So some of them are just a little too thin that they didn't yeah. spend enough time. We're just evil for evil's sake, and there's mm-hmm. no you know history. And so those are ones that we could have probably spent a little bit more time to make them a little bit more fleshed out. Right. Um, I know a lot, a lot of people have have issues with um, Ultron. Yeah. I love Ultron as a villain. I think he's hysterical because he is a sort of a, a Tony Stark clone. Yeah. So it makes sense that he is 
snarky and arrogant, just like Tony, because it's all of Tony's AI that went into creating him. So some people just didn't like that he was funny and quippy, but it, it, to me, it made sense based on its creator. Right. Um, I like Ultron too. I think it's a, it's a nice play on humanity being in a robot in a way that's, you know, I mean, essentially he wants to destroy humanity, but he is more human than some of the human characters. Yeah. So that yeah. snark works perfectly for me. Yeah. 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 I mean, and the more I watched that, the more I enjoy that one. That's one of that that goes on over time. Like, yeah, all right, yeah, I like this one. Um, so I wanted to ask you when, <laughs> and you don't have to answer this if you don't want to, because it may you may not you may not have. Um, have you ever, as a writer, mm-hmm. written a, a story with either a Marvel character in mind or a Marvel actor in mind as sort of like you're the person that you're envisioning when you're writing stories or. So I can't say that I've ever written um, a Marvel character insert essentially into the story. Like I said, with um, Drake from red alert, it was very spike from Buffy influenced. Yeah. I definitely have some Xena esque vibes in some of my heroines. Um, I don't think I've ever gone down the superhero route for a character, although I think any dark character is going to have a lot of Batman because I just grew up constantly with Batman. So it's it's in my subconscious whether I want it there or not. Um, but no, I've never like consciously said, OK, I love this Marvel character. Let's see how I could put my spin on the character into the story. Right. What about you? <laughs> <laughs> the characters no, but the actors absolutely <laughs> I have. Um, absolutely. Which I've book, used. which characters, which <laughs> actors? Give us the details. I've I've used uh, a a young blonde uh Sebastian Stan actually for my latest Girl on Fire as Excellent. my inspiration for Brad. Um mm-hmm. he can play a villain mm-hmm. perfectly, in my opinion. Um, and he's got that, there's something about a villain that is also attractive mm-hmm. that makes them able to, to get away with things more. Because I think we allow, we allow attractive that beauty people. to sort of blind mm-hmm. us yep. into the danger factor. 100%. And so that's, I think, Marvel does a good job at that too, with making their, some of their villains very attractive. Very attractive. <laughs> they know what they're doing. They know what they're doing. Um, I've used Paul Rudd before. He's in a draft version of something that I was uh, co-writing with another author, um, R.J. Keller. We mm-hmm. both love Paul Rudd, so we're like, he, he needs to be in one of our <laughs> books. So we totally made him into a, uh, we, we've given this Paul Rudd character some sexy scenes, which is nice. a, a riot to write when you're love thinking it. about Paul Rudd <laughs> and like putting him in sexy situations. It's very bizarre, but we're like, yeah, we could do that. <laughs> Um, I've used Mark Ruffalo before, again, oh, yeah. the draft of, of something. Um, Evans, of course, has been mm-hmm. in, in stuff. ScarJo. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Those inspiration type people, absolutely. Not the superhero stuff, because I don't really write anything that would warrant a, a superhero type character. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, if you were like a fanfic writer, yeah. the material, the source material, <laughs> you can pull from. from oh, Marvel. my God. That, I have not gone down the, the the rabbit hole of fan fiction for Marvel because I would never get anything yeah, done. You would never, that would be it. You would never get out. 
literally one of the reasons i never played world of warcraft although that is like completely up my alley i just felt like i would never leave the house i would just live yeah. in live in that world and never leave yeah. but you yeah. mentioned um brad with girl on fire <clears throat> yes now talk yes. about a um a villain but without spoiling the story personally what I liked about that character so much is exactly what you talked about where he is very attractive and he comes off as a person who should be on morally good who should be this upstanding kind of citizen of the community and has this ultra darkness inside of him but even with that you still give reasons why that might be and i'm not going to spoil the story for anybody but i love that that there's still like a part of me that goes well maybe it's because of this like i don't forgive anything you've done because you're horrible right but also it could be because of this so and that was important for me in in writing because i one of the questions i get a lot is they want to know what what happened with with this particular character and the certain situation that I that I hint to and allude to like what really happened mm-hmm. because I don't answer sort of what happened and I thought it was important not to I love because that. it's not his story this yep. is not his story this is this is Sarah's story right um and I I, I wanted to to leave that open to interpretation because mm-hmm. um I don't want to be in his headspace no I don't want to I don't want to know that <laughs> I, I don't I don't want to know but I do feel it's important that characters are not all evil and they're not mm-hmm. all good yep. because we're not a hundred percent there, there has to be some shred of redemption, even in, in your villain, there has mm-hmm. to be some thread of possibility that they are not completely moral, morally corrupt because then that makes them boring to me. Exactly. If, if, if there is no, no light in them, then you're a character that I'm, I'm just not compelled to read more about it. Right, because you're just pure evil. And if there's nothing behind that, then there's there's nothing I can latch onto, right? There's nothing I can feel for you other than just fear or anger or whatever. But having somebody that has those threads of like, oh, I could see why makes us, I think, feel so much more. In A Touch of Darkness for me, it was very important that because I was pl- playing with fallen angels and demons and completely out of the realm of religion, just, just paranormal fun. But to have the most villainous evil in the book actually be the humans so that the, the demons, fallen angels, paranormal creatures, etc., had much more um, depth and range to their emotions. And the ones that were coming off much more evil was humanity. And I just like that play between like, you know, how do you latch onto something that's so other? Well, this is exactly how. Yeah. And I think that's that's another thing that Marvel does really well is giving us this otherness that's also very ingrained in, in the human experience. That's yeah. that's really what I love, I think, the most about Marvel. Yeah. Yeah. And I think Loki's a good character to look at about oh, that, that that villain not being a villain but being a villain, but not being a villain, you know, that you, you just go back and forth with a character like that because you can totally understand why he is the way he is mm-hmm. and the way he acts the way he is, given the cir- circumstances that they've put him in. So right. they've given him a reason for being mischievous and you sort of forgive him for it because yeah. you understand it and yeah. you get it 
and you might act the same way if the situation mm-hmm. was and come on you know. he's the little brother he's he's and spoilers um i don't know why at this point you wouldn't know but the adopted <laughs> right. little brother like how many to this, to this perfect godlike thor right yeah right. you think you're gonna yeah. have a complex <laughs> well see here's 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 the thing i have a theory about it and i'm probably completely wrong but here's my theory i've never i haven't read the comics so this might be mm-hmm. answered and i may be talking out of my but i have a feeling that that they are half brothers mm-hmm that that baby, the reason that he that Odin saved him was not just because he found this baby and felt bad for it because he had his own son and he was right. but because that altruism. was Frigga's that was Frigga's child. Mm-hmm. He has the same powers as she does. Come I, on I now. I feel like there's definitely comics, and I don't know which versions because there's so many that that do make them half brothers. I'm almost positive of that. It has to be. Yeah. I mean, there there's just. Which adds on a whole other layer, right? Because now we have an experience where not only am I in the shadow of this literally blonde god older brother, but I'm also having this very strange relationship with my father, who, if that is the case, how did she have this other child? So there's so so many layers to it. and And I love how this show... Again, spoilers, if you haven't seen the show, go watch Loki. Oh, my God. It takes this in a totally other direction by giving us all these versions of Loki now. All the the people he could have become if circumstances were different. Like, how brilliant is that? And and how many times have we wondered that ourselves? Mm -hmm. If I had not missed that bus, if I had made that meeting, if I had gotten that job, how would my life be different? And a story right. like Loki sort of explains sort of how different life choices affect different things and how. Yeah. How you're still at the core, like this, you start out as the same person, right? But you right. experience has taken them in such different directions that now they're totally different people. I know that some, some, some fans had issues with the romantic tones of Loki with Loki. Uh, <laughs> But also, hasn't most people thought about, like, you know, if I had a twin that was, like, not blood, but also me, clone me? There again, though, (laughs) that is a completely character-driven choice. I mean, of all the people that would fall in love with themselves, of course it would be the narcissist of Loki. Of course it would be. It's absolutely a character-driven choice. It makes perfect sense if you listen to what your characters are doing and I love the like the kind of parallel that they had right she is reaching out because she has spent her entire life alone she's been alone and suddenly finds literally finds herself right in this other person where he on the other hand has had family but has always felt like the outsider has struggled to be a hero in some ways, because I think deep down, that's what he does want, right? I don't think he wants to be this villainous character. No. And yeah, of course they latch onto each other. That makes perfect sense. Yep. And look, we're romance writers. So, you know, a little romance never hurts anybody. <laughs> a little romance. And, and that's that's something that I think that, that Marvel does well too, is mm-hmm. they thread in a little romance little, yeah. for, for those. It's not saturated. It's a little. And that's what, that's, 
it seems uh, funny to me is that there are so many female friend, friends, fans mm-hmm. of, of this. It's not, it's not, I might even say it's predominantly a female fan base, maybe mm-hmm. not, but there is a large female following for the Marvel uh, well, I, I mean, the, the, the sexy men on the screen don't hurt matters. <laughs> no, it does not. No, it does not. And do you think that, no. that, that Marvel's been paying attention to female gaze? Do you think that they were paying attention? I do. Huh? I, I think in the, specifically in this new direction that Marvel is taking now, I think they've, I think the Loki series shows it very specifically, the female gaze, right? Because, yes. Thor is beautiful. Nobody is going to argue about Chris Hemsworth. I'm sorry. If you do, you, if you are a woman who is attracted to men or just a person who is attracted to men, you're going to find him attractive. He just is, right? But I think with Loki, and it shows into the female gaze in particular, is the depth of character. This idea of him needing to be nurtured, right? definitely plays a huge part in the female gaze him being much more emotional with sylvie and talking more about his feelings 100 female gaze so yes while we we, you know we 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 enjoy abs um i think what they're playing into now is the more of the emotional depth of the characters specifically their male characters and their female characters are coming off little more kick-ass you know don't get me wrong black widow was always kick-ass but she was also very much there for the male gaze i don't think absolutely absolutely and it's and it's shifted yeah 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 you when you look at the early films and and scarlet joe's black widow you go yeah (laughs) obviously another ass Um, shot another boob shot okay got it yeah got it that's that's for the men got it yeah. And I do yeah. think that this this new the way that her character has progressed and now in, in her own film, which can arguably not be her own film and really her sister's film, but that's a whole other right. thing. Right. You know, they are starting to see like, OK, I don't have to just play into this male audience of the like you said, the, the boobs and the butt shot. But there is a large percentage of female viewers. And how do I as a Marvel business capitalize on that? And I, and I think they are starting to. Yeah, yeah, I, I think so. And, and and I think that they are, they're paying attention to, to what their viewers are, are saying, you know, mm-hmm. we want to see more of this or we want to see more of that. I mean, they, they respond and, but that's not to say that, well, not, I don't think every Marvel movie has a naked man chest on it. <laughs> I don't think. It might it might be within you know if you're a hero you have to be shirtless at some point <laughs> for the men. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure, um, but I think that's that's um, that's part of that female gaze. It's not when we when we refer to female gaze, it's not oh how much chest can I see? It, it's not just the the physicality of looking right. at it. It is it's it's again those allowing those flaws, allowing mm-hmm. us to see beyond this this perfectness of Thor say mm-hmm. being this perfect unflawed character I didn't care for Thor no. until Ragnarok and, Ragnarok. and until yeah, yeah and until they started to show some flaws in these characters and then I'm I mean even the, the heavier Thor I'm like you know what I yep. like him way better than I, I liked you pulled it out of my brain I was thinking the exact same thing because it doesn't matter 
I think with the female gaze in particular, it doesn't matter how attractive a man looks on the screen. We are, we're going to appreciate the attractiveness. Don't sure. get me wrong. You know, sure. we are, we are human. We have blood right. <laughs> flowing through our veins. Um, right. We're going to appreciate it, but we're not going to latch on in the same way that so many people have latched on to Loki, right? Yeah. Why is Loki, a, like, I, no offense to the actor, I don't right. find him attractive, but I am totally attracted to Loki. Totally that, attracted to that character. Yeah. yeah. Physically, no, I don't, I don't right. particularly find him attractive, right. but him as that Loki character, 100%. Yeah, yeah. Because he's showing some vulnerability. And yep. he's... And depth. Yeah. Depth, yeah. vulnerability, and it's not just like the macho man godlike superhero absolutely right it's bizarre that loki is far more fuckable Mm -hmm. than his brother thor it shouldn't be that way but it is and yet and yet you ask a majority of of marvel fan of farm they're they're gonna pick loki Loki. yeah i mean i'm not kicking thor out of bed i mean who would (laughs) who would but but I don't want to follow come back his seconds. story. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to know all of his deep, dark secrets because right. I don't think there are that many. Although, again, right. they've done a lot with that character. And, right. and right. in large yes. part, I think, to, to the actor. So definitely props right. to him. But I, I don't care as much because he doesn't have the same level of depth that Loki does. So going back to your books for a second, when... You're writing characters, since we do predominantly write romance, although I know that you you have a lot of genres. <laughs> I really do. But predominantly romance, so we are writing towards a female audience. Mm-hmm. How do you set up your hero? Like, what are your heroes typically like? Well, see, my I, I tend to write... I tend to write characters who feel like they are broken and they feel mm. like they are discarded. And then the arc becomes them sort of overcoming that um, sense of worthlessness, that sense of the arc is sort of trusting to love themselves. And so the themes in a lot of my books are, are similar, that they start out in one place and then they end up changed and evolved. But the things that they learn by the people that they interact with. Mm-hmm. And that that's a that's a common theme for me because I think it's so, so universal mm-hmm. that I feel like so many people, especially in society today, don't feel like enough. They don't feel good enough. There's this constant comparison to, to other things. And the media is like, you know, it, it just drills into us that we aren't good enough, that we mm-hmm. aren't uh, special enough, or we aren't a superhero. We're just, a, you know, right. whatever it is. So I like to write those characters that are so completely low and see how life can help them change perspective. So my heroes aren't the the kick-ass badasses that, mm-hmm. that your heroes uh, predominantly are. Mm-hmm. Um, but I still think that they're considered the hero because they end up becoming the hero to themselves. Oh, I love that. That made any sense at all. No, it definitely did. <laughs> Which of your books would you say is has that more or the most hero who is really broken and has to find themselves? Right. Um, well, uh, probably Naya and Pold is the most mm-hmm. similar to that um, Sarah character that's sort of most like emotionally sort of broken. 
my other characters are are broken, but they're kind of more snarky about it. You know? <laughs> like, like, yeah, I know I'm damaged goods. Deal with it. You know, <laughs> you know, they're not really dealing enough with mm-hmm. it. But then throughout the book, they go, oh yeah, this is this is shit. I got to process and that I got to work through. Mm-hmm. Um, my young adult, uh, what moons do is sort of like that when you're in high school and yeah. you feel that like. I am invisible. Nobody sees me, mm-hmm. you know, that sort of feeling um, that starts in high school. And sometimes you can't ever shake that, 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 that feeling. So, um, but, but even in my steamy, my steamy uh, books, the first hundred kisses, the second hundred kisses, I have a character who has a pretty low self-esteem. She's still going about her day and doing her stuff, mm-hmm. but she's self-deprecating and she's like, you know, whatever. Um, and it's through circumstances that they that they become more aware of like, no, I really shouldn't be thinking about that about myself. I really should be, you know, loving who I am and loving, right. you know, I loving love the curves of my body or, you know, I do I feel, am worthy. And I do feel a lot of that. Um, I know we keep talking about Loki, but I think he's just brilliantly written a character. I do feel a lot of that with Loki. Like, yes, he comes off as a narcissist and might be. But at the same time, I also think he is very broken. I think he's very, you know, down on himself. I think we get that in the Loki series. We see where he's like, maybe not as much of a narcissist. He's never been loved. Right. I mean, besides his his mother. Mother. Mm hmm he hasn't really been loved or appreciated. He's always been like the annoyance, the, the, you know, and you get treated like that all your life. That's what you're going to project back out. So that's why I think it's also so important that he's getting that, that love and consideration from Sylvie because he's Mm -hmm. seeing it for the first time. And like, what do I do with this? This is, this is something foreign, foreign to me. Right. Right. Exactly. And that's interesting to watch a character discovering something is, is as common as love everybody knows what that feels like don't they yeah no he doesn't and so it's yeah no it's true that makes a compelling character yeah exactly and i think even um with my characters like you said obviously i write paranormal i write sci-fi so we have a lot of the strong alpha heroes um but i sometimes like for example with code black i consider the main character talon to be kind of a soft alpha because he is he's a leader of uh, a a special agent team uh paranormal crimes division so he has to be alpha he has to be the leader but he's so good at what i love about this character he's so good at relying on his team and being Mm -hmm. a team member even though he's the leader so i guess in some ways he does come off a little captain america e a little, a little like, because I consider right. Captain America that same kind of thing. Like, obviously, right. he's an alpha type character, but he's kind of like a soft alpha. It's not an in your. So face. it's like a, a a Tony and a Cap combined, maybe. Yeah, yeah, I would say that that makes sense. He's uh, definitely got some snark in him, but he's not. He doesn't come across as arrogant. And right. honestly, as much as I I love um, that particular character, I do have problems with Captain America. Captain America is my husband's favorite character. But the issue for me is he comes across, same issue I have with Superman, he mm. comes across as too good. Yeah. When there is no doubt, there's no, you know, morally gray area, there's just kind of this ultra perfection, idealistic 
you know, yeah. being. And that's why Tony doesn't really ever trust him fully because like, yeah. I don't trust a guy who doesn't have a dark side. Exactly. Where and are he says, well, you just haven't seen it yet. No, we haven't. <laughs> no, because we don't have one. I would love to see your dark side. It's not there. It's not there. And I would argue that Superman is actually even more of a compelling character because Clark, he has Clark Kent. Right. right. He right. has his kind of perception of what humanity is. Right. It's weaker. Right. It's, you know, it's it's not perfect. So I think even with Superman might have more depth than Captain America. Well, right. because my husband will tell me, oh, but Captain America, he's from Brooklyn. Come on. He's the all American hero. He came right. from nothing and he got the serum and he became this. And I'm like, yeah, but he's still not quite the underdog you think he is. Yeah. Because the yeah. second he gets it, he's he's it's like everything inside of him has now come out to the surface and all of that is perfect. Yeah. All of it. Well, I think I think his one weakness that we did get to see is his relationship uh with Bucky. That's yeah. where he he lets go of the things that are morally right and he mm-hmm. he lets things blur is with that friendship. But that's really the only time that I think that we see him do the the maybe morally not right choice is when it comes to that and, friendship. And see, I've got I've got an answer for this too. Which Go is a morally right choice to stand by your friend who you know is essentially right. good on the inside. Like you keep he knows that right. Bucky is not evil, right? right? He knows right. that there's got to be something else going on. So is it the morally right decision to stand by your friend right. or to, you know, follow what the what they're saying about but him then the, that's him the thing is it le- legally right or right. is oh do you guys so that's where it becomes gray mm-hmm. it's that it's no, it, that's i think what he realizes that things are not black and white as yeah as they were in the the first movie that, that, right. that there are shades of gray to to what's right and what's wrong and, and i think that's my that. issue too like he, it's not that he doesn't understand that the shades of gray is that he himself does not have shades of gray Right, it's right, everything right, is right, external right. shade yeah. of gray. For right, him. right, right, right. Yeah. I think yeah. if we saw yeah. like a, just a, just give me like a yeah. little hint yeah. of, of something there. Yes. Then yeah. I could latch onto that more. But for yeah. me, he's he's just he's too yeah. perfect. And you know, I think that there was a missed opportunity where they could have shown that was in Age mm-hmm. of Ultron when yes. the mind manipulation and the fear, showing Cap's fear of not being the morally right. Yes. They could have really dove into him, like being like the the bad using his powers for bad instead of good. Mm-hmm. We could have seen that, I think. I think that was a mistake. Or just self-doubt. I yeah. have never yeah. seen him doubt himself ever. In yeah. any movie, I don't, even when he's fighting with Tony, he is yeah. convinced and he is firm and in his conviction. Right he's going to win, yeah. And there is yeah. no doubt. If if my friend and a super genius like Tony Stark said, hey, maybe we're not doing the right thing, I would at least think twice about it. Right, right, right. <laughs> I wouldn't necessarily agree, do, but I would. Do you think I, that I, that's I part, though, of, of of how the character is written, though, yes. but that's how, I mean, I mean, it's, sure. I don't, I haven't read the comics, so I don't know if there are source material where we do get mm-hmm. this morally gray character, or if it's just, no, this is the way the character is written, so we, yeah. we're sticking to it, so. I mean, to me, I it's, it's Marvel's answer to Superman. Captain America, yeah. to me, is Marvel's answer to yeah. Superman, and I know that the comics are not that way, but in the right, films, right, right. definitely, it feels that way, where the same way that Iron Man is like Batman, right? They, they kind of have these same threads of similar characteristics. Um, and just uh, just for me, just too perfect. Right. Well, that sounds like a perfect
perfect way to wrap up. We have been yapping about this for almost 50 minutes now. And here we thought we wouldn't have a lot to talk about. I could could go on still for hours. We'll need a part two. If you want a part two. Yeah. Yeah. See, again, putting the power in sort of the reader and the viewer. If you want more, we could talk more about this. If you're Um, on YouTube, leave us comments. If you're listening on Spotify, SoundCloud, download it, like it, send us emails, visit our website, let us know. Absolutely. We, we can talk about this for a long time. Um, but in the meantime, you can check us out at boundbybookspodcast.com. You can find out more about all of us and what we write. And be sure to tune in next week as we talk about books and the things that we love about them in Bound by Books. Hey.